Hello, my name is Kel Spellman and I am here to welcome you to another one of our bonus episodes and you're in for a treat with this one because this time it's Extra Chat with the legendary screenwriter, filmmaker and activist Richard Curtis and singer-songwriter, UN Goodwill Ambassador and WWF Ambassador Ellie Golding. Really enjoyed these chats and they had so many gems, so much that we comfort into our first episode. So first up, here is more from my chat with Richard. I wanted to begin with, where did that passion from yourself kind of begin? Can you earmark a moment where you thought this is definitely something I want to be talking about and, and using my voice to try and drive that conversation and change? There are so many answers to that question because in some ways I'm a good example of a late joiner. So, I mean, my journey of comic relief was inspired by a visit that I did to Ethiopia during the famine there. And so I was for many years really passionate sort of development, humanist, money to projects type campaigner. And actually, I was part of a campaign called Make Poverty History, which led to the Live Aid concert in 2015. And I remember the meeting where the climate guy walked out because we thought it was too complicated a message to say we need debt, aid, aid, and climate. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of interesting that I'm here now talking on an environment podcast because it's been a reveal to me over the last 10 years that not only is climate such an epic subject for my children's future, you know, and for the future of business and the future of gender equality and everything like that, but it also just completely relates to all the stuff I've always cared about. The climate yes. classic example of something where the worse it gets, it's the poor that suffer most. You know, you get a flood in a wealthy country and some mm. basements get destroyed. You get a flood in a poor country and 250,000 people die. So I'm a late joiner of climate, but unbelievably passionate about the issue now. It's interesting, though, when you say 2015, because especially in the spaces that you'll be in, Richard, have you noticed that shift? in the kind of appetite and the will for businesses and industries to actually go, okay, the climate and the environment is something we need to be be pushing and focusing on. I mean, absolutely. It's been an absolute sea change, you know, too late. I mean, not too late, but mm-hmm. much later than it should have been. And I'm an advocate for the Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's new plan for the future. And that is based on development, on poverty, on climate and on justice. And it was with the coming of that that I really realized how these things were completely linked. Mm. And it's been an exciting and interesting time. There are lots of things. I'm sort of, you know, by nature an optimist. But I feel the young people that I encounter, it's in their DNA. It's not a kind of theoretical thing that they've heard about and they hope will get better. They know it's the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually their future. And then in a funny way, for me, the most exciting thing has been seeing the way business has started to understand these issues. Because the risk of the absolute turning upside down, the expense of the cost of climate change uh, to businesses, and also kind of the opportunity for businesses. I heard the governor of the Bank of England saying sustainable business, the biggest opportunity for investment since the Industrial Revolution. You know, as it were, as the world changes, business can turn that into an opportunity 
for both doing the right thing and profit as well. So uh, these are exciting times. And I think it's really important while we're talking about all the dangers, all the slowness that we also notice when things are happening and when they're happening well. I do think that consumer power, and you know, sometimes people will say, well, those people are kind of boasting about their climate behavior. Well, great. If a company's doing the right thing, I think the company should let them know. And I, as a consumer, I'm all up for spending my money there. Same. Rather than spending my money on something that, you know, on a company that hasn't done that. You know, check out your petrol stations, drive past the bad guy and drive into the petrol station where they're actually working on this stuff. And that's that whole thing of which pops up so much in this podcast, which is just being a little bit more thoughtful, take that extra second, be that little bit more conscientious. And it might feel like it's a massive change to what you're used to, but actually you'll soon find moving to that different petrol station, it might be five minutes on your day, but you've soon settle into that rhythm within a week and be like, it's easily done. Yeah. It doesn't have to feel as big as what it does, does it? Exactly. That's the one I go to, you know, and it is it is fun to be aware of your consumer power. I mean, look, I would say to all the people who are listening to this, climate activism is completely necessary. And I know I thought about climate as a kind of just as a non-human thing. And, and with my history and comic relief and everything, I'm just really now thinking about the human suffering. You know, one of the major reasons for those people who are coming across the channel in boats, a lot of it's to do with war, but a lot of it's to do with climate change, the change of environments, the loss of agriculture, and a lot of that causes tension within states and everything like that. So all around you, the world that is going wrong and the pain that's being caused to people is connected to climate. So it's a deeply compassionate Thing. So when you're taking a climate action, it's the same as giving money to climate relief, actually. Yeah. You're doing your bit for someone else you don't know whose life is being bashed around. Particularly those in the global south, which was a big topic of conversation at yeah. COP26 for those who will have followed. When we look to see, you know, what we can be hoping to see from governments and these these massive systems that we're all kind of a part of and, and live by and these industries what what are the big changes that you'd like to see and we should be hoping for to to really you know drive on the action plan that like the UN sustainable goals what what are the things we should be looking for and keeping an eye out for i think that the huge things will be really successful new businesses that take climate into account you know, and when they come up, we should support those. I saw a great, I'm sure it's not as good as Google yet, but a great search engine. Every time you search, they plant a tree, as it were. Yeah, Ecosia. I genuinely think that the more that we're aware of it with our spending power, and that will shift the nature of business and the responsibility of business. I mean, I'm seeing the big changes as business being much more responsible. People who work for businesses taking responsibility for the behavior of their businesses and making our money matter in our lives. Oh, I could have stayed on chatting to Richard for hours because he has so much to talk about and he knows so much as well. He's just one of those brilliant minds and people that if you get time with them, you want to make as much use of it as you can. So thank you to Richard. But we are not done yet because up next, here is more of my chat with the brilliant Ellie Golding. 
And I think the fact that people seem to separate indigenous communities and people living in like low coastal regions and people living in like places that are really, really, really vulnerable to, to sea rise and to climate change, you know, natural disasters and more extreme weather. But like, we're all connected, like all of us are connected together, like the ocean connects us all. And for me, it's it's not right to separate those communities with us. Because, you know, for example, like the food we eat, the clothes we wear, those things start somewhere, you know, there's the beginning of these really long, crazy supply chains. And they often start in places like the Amazon, where um, they're plowing down rainforests. It's been there for like hundreds, thousands of years. This is just for things like palm oil, you know, and soy and and those things that we, we all eat and take for granted. And And so actually, we need to remember that all of this is connected. And so we all, you know, have a little bit of responsibility. And I, I would argue that the big corporations, businesses probably should take on a little bit more um, responsibility. But um, I think we also have to too. And, and remember that literally everything comes to one thing and we're all in this together. So it is frustrating, but I think once you make those links, you know, you start to have more compassion and kindness and sympathy and and you really want to make a change. Speaking of doing it, Ellie, kind of going back to, to your work then, so there were some areas you're focusing on. What ones are those? Um, for me, it's been obviously like biodiversity loss and species extinction is, is the scariest thing to me. Mm. Realising the connection between the survival and the health of nature and our health, that was a pretty eye-opening thing to me and should be to all of us. And then yeah. I suppose things like plastic pollution, I think the fact that there's more like plastic in our seas than fish right now, the fact that plastic is, you know, particles of plastic are now being found in humans and in like places like the Antarctica where there shouldn't be like plastic raining down on Antarctica, but there is. And so plastic is such a huge problem and mm. so I love the fact that 30% of our oceans are going to be protected by 2030 I think it needs to be a lot more but you know it's a good start and but the plastic thing is a whole other thing that needs to be just gone you know single-use yeah. plastic is the worst thing of all time <laughs> yeah. you know good good in, good invention considering what conditions were like at the time you know there was nothing that was sanitary nothing that was good for medical purposes in that sense you know it was a good thing at the time and now it's like it's outdated we can do better than that now yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. And then I think, you know, for me, it was so great to be part of like the new sort of nature section or plenary or whatever at COP um, last year, because you can't solve the climate crisis without keeping nature healthy. So I think now that that connection has been made, it's great that there's more of a focus on nature. That's it, really. Again, it's just all things that are connected and all things that you can't solve one without the other. Yeah, sorry, you really made me chuckle there. You just you reeled off some of the the biggest uh, crises that we can <laughs> face as a human species, and was that so? That's about it, really. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll have a cup of tea. <laughs> I love it. Um, I try. I try. <laughs> no, you do more than try, Ellie. Honestly, um, before we kind of wrap up, my kind of two questions I wanted to ask you to to the people listening, you know, and, and if. They kind of say, which I get asked this as well, you know, is what is, what can little old me do and, and what can my voice do? You know, what, what would you say to them? You know, why is it important that, that we do use our voice and, and we do remember that interconnectivity that, that we all have? 
God, yeah, it's so important. The collective voice has so much more power than no, and it really can influence people. You know, it can influence the way politics goes, the way policy can be changed. And it just changes the general kind of outlook on everything, especially when things are started, like in local communities. I think that's one of the most inspiring things to me that, you know, people are doing these really sweet things in their local villages and towns where they're coming together you know, you could try that for one. Like, you never know, like, who's around you. Like, people might be thinking the same thing, worrying about the same thing, wanting mm-hmm. to take the same kind of action. So that's a good place to start, you know, just keep speaking up about it. And then understanding things and, like, learning about things. Knowledge is power. So it's also very overwhelming as well. I know that. But the more you learn, not just about the beauty of nature and biodiversity, but the way that it sustains us and the way that it keeps us alive. I think learning about that and really immersing yourself in that will make you really care, like really care because we, we protect what we love. And so, you know, the more you fall in love with nature, reconnect with nature, the more you want to save it and protect it. And I think, I think that really is the most important thing. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. And finally, how I finish all my interviews and I ask people what brings them hope. So Ellie, what gives you hope? You know, I am feeling kind of hopeful right now. You know, I think changes are being made. You know, green energy is bigger than ever. It's just such a positive. Nature-based solutions are really on the rise. Understanding about things like restoring mangroves in the sea and things that sequester carbon and things that protect countries from flooding and things like that, you know, make me think, oh, people really are trying. And if politicians aren't, you know, certainly like communities are, which I think is is so inspiring. Also, I think just young people, whenever I meet young people like I did in Sweden last week, it does give me so much hope because they get it. They really understand it. And knowing that those are the young people that are hopefully going to be leaders or people who are the heads of of big corporations you know ones that are really sustainable and green and you know they have the knowledge and I think that gives me hope and there's lots happening every day at the moment and I always make sure I try and keep on top of good climate news things that have happened this week that are really positive things um, for the planet and that's why I've made really conscious choices of what I follow on socials because you can get really bogged down in the bad stuff and you, you should know about it but at the same time it's really good to know that there are such positive things happening in the world too for our planet that always gives me hope. Ah, oh, a massive thank you to Ellie. She is also a person that I seem to have crossed paths with at certain places at certain times, but we'd never met. So it was so nice to finally sit down with her. And I really did enjoy that chat and hope you did too. Now we are back in two weeks time. I'm going to be digging deep and talking about how our identity can influence our relationship with nature. So please do join me for that. I think it's going to be so intriguing and it's going to be bringing up some questions that all of us are asking, but we don't know the answers to. Call of the Wild is a Fresh Air production for WWF. Remember, please do subscribe or follow now for free so that you don't miss an episode. It also really helps our series and does make a difference, so it would be much appreciated. The Wild is calling. It's time to act.